This is the Build Our Future podcast. We shape our buildings, and afterwards our buildings shape us. A window into the past, present, and future of the construction industry. We have still a lot of unlocked doors. Clarity with design, craftsmanship with the build. There's still a lot to find out and do and invent. Collaboration for our future. You know, I don't think it's the end of the invention. The Build Our Future podcast with Raul Faria. Let's build. Begins now. Welcome to the Builder Future podcast. Really happy to have Mitch Lewandowski here from Branch Technologies talking about 3D printing, but not your general 3D printing. We're talking about large scale 3D printing. And Mitch, it's fantastic to have you on. Well, it's great to be here and thank you for the invite. I love what you're doing and happy to talk about what we're doing at the branch. Fantastic. So tell me a little bit about Branch Technologies. What are they about? What are they doing today? Yeah, sure. Well, Branch Technology, just to kind of sum it up in one paragraph, we're a disruptive technology company creating large format uh, digitally manufactured products for the built industry. We do this in a very unique way. We do what is called cellular fabrication. So we actually print in open space. So we use about 1 20th the material of traditional 3D printing. So this is very light and strong. We're the first company in the world to commercialize this. And it's just a very uh, interesting place to be in. I'm sure you're going to ask me a lot of good questions about this. Oh, so I won't tell sure. you too, too much right now. <laughs> Sounds good. So tell me a little bit about where the first concept came from with the founder. Yeah. So about seven years ago, Platt Boyd, who was the principal at a architectural firm, came up with this idea of what if you could 3D print an open space? Yeah, sure. Like everybody does that, right? But if you could, it would be light, it would be strong, it would be very efficient. But the problem with that was is nobody was doing it. There was no technology, there was no hardware, no software. This was just the idea on the back of a napkin of what if you could. And going from this ideation, and he just went out there and basically invented the whole business. I mean, it's an industry that's just starting, but he invented the industry of open format 3D printing and went from the back of a piece of paper to where we're at today. Like literally from a back, back of a napkin, back of a sheet literally, of paper? <laughs> literally from the back of a sheet of paper. As a matter of fact, in my office, I've got the very, very first, very first item that was ever 3D printed open space. And that's actually sitting in like a glass case in my office. I'm like, I wonder what I could get for that on eBay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just coming up with the idea and then just playing around with it and then going to where we are today. Obviously today, in terms of what you guys are doing it seems like there's there's a fair bit of design freedom associated with what you're doing. And I'm sure you'll get into that a little bit. But do you think that was one of the reasons why he wanted to do this? Because as an architect and engineer, there are limited constraints that you can have in terms of creativity. Yeah. If you think about the world that we kind of live and operate in, and if you go outside of actually, if you look behind you and you look behind me, we both have bookcases. And the shapes of those bookcases are built in this geometric squares and rectangles, 90 degree the world that we live in is made out of blocks and thinking about blocks and beams. And it's been like that for over 2000 years. Going from blocks and beam to, hey, you can make anything is a big step. Now, architects would ideate that stuff on paper, but they would kind of like keep it in a dark room because they knew if they brought it to a client, the client would be like, yeah, great. That's really cool. But that's going to cost a million dollars <laughs> a square foot. And unless it's your money, we're not doing that. So from a practical standpoint, it's been very difficult to work in a freeform environment for construction. Right. So obviously that was one of the first ideas, but what were the, some of the first 
uh, I guess you could say key points of emphasis in, in not just making sure that the system worked, but potentially had the, you know, the feasibility side as well. Obviously, technology wasn't there yet, but just like <laughs> with anything else, they call them visionaries, right? Like what's coming yeah. before it happens? Yeah. Well, one of the things is, is Platt was looking at from a cellular structure, which is our bodies made of cells and cells are mostly open. But if you look at the cell structure, cells structure is very strong. And then once you do something else with it, because what makes us particularly interesting, this taking a pause for a moment, if you had like a, a CMU block of this it weighs about two pounds. So, you know, I think eight by eight by 12 or whatever it is, that block will take about 3000 pounds of compression just made like this for a two pound block. But once I infill this with a foam, a fire rated foam, it weighs about three pounds and it takes about 10,000 pounds of compression. So he, Platt was looking at how cells were made and designed, and that's where the idea came from. If you could build things from how cells are constructed, it would be very strong and very efficient. So it was from a cellular, how nature's made, how things are made out. You cut a tree open, you look at how we're designed, it's on a cellular structure. But we're trying to build things, again, using squares and blocks and things like that. Right. So obviously coming from that cellular stuff, it seems like he's made quite the breakthrough with a proprietary polymer. Obviously, we don't want you to get into the details of that, but can you tell me a little bit about <laughs> that specifically and, and really some of the challenges adapting that and then trying to actually print with that kind of polymer? Yeah. Okay. So I just dropped you the all of our IP and our, all of our patents. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me put it this way. So one of the challenges is actually in the polymer. So this is a carbon fiber reinforced polymer. It's a proprietary blend of what works for us. But because this material didn't exist, and that when I say that, think about traditional FDM printing. And traditional, I mean just what's normally happens. The polymers that are out there for that are designed to go layer upon layer. But now you say, okay, I want to take a polymer and I want to extrude it out into open space, have it not droop and fall apart. And I want it to reconnect itself in different areas along the way. Yeah, I just ordered some of that on Amazon, you know, same day delivery, <laughs> something like that. So right. we had the, the trick of finding materials and coming up with materials that work, right. but also developing the software that could make a robot move across an open space and then getting these parts to all reconnect together. So it wasn't just the polymer, right. it was the polymer working with hardware that didn't exist, which we had to invent working with software that didn't exist that we had to invent. So you think about polymer, hardware, and software, and then kind of getting all those, it's like, kind of like a shooting a bullet out into space and then getting like three things to line up to hit it at some point in time in the rain, in the dark, at night, way down the street. I know, you know, when kind of tricky. When you were saying that, that what came to mind is talk about really starting at ground zero. <laughs> like literally not reinventing the new wheel, shall we say, the new way yeah, of doing exactly. things, right? Exactly. Uh, you know, so I guess when this stuff started happening for Branch at the time, what were some of the challenges that you guys faced in terms of market presence and market visibility? Because obviously the first question that comes to mind, I think you mentioned it earlier is, yeah, but how much? <laughs> Well, just before market presence was some of the initial challenges, again, nothing existed. Right. When we went into the like the beta early version, you're talking about print speed, you know, you're going stratospherically slow, materials didn't exist, exist, software didn't exist. But then when you got into the market, you just talk about just general market knowledge. You come out to the market and say, hey, we can build, say, 
anything or build, we talk about 10 times the design freedom at a reasonable price point. And people don't even know what that means. You have an architect with lots of background in design, they're still operating in the known space that they're in. And then when they see what could be done with what we can do, it's just like, oh, wow. Yeah. We were in some meetings in January in New York City. We had like, I think, 15 meetings with 15 different firms in five days. So we're going from firm to firm and firm to book meetings. And you'd go in to sit down with two or three people. And they're like, can you hold on a second? They go out of the room and come in with like eight more people. You start a meeting with four and you end up with 30. And everybody's like, oh, wow. Oh, man. Can, yeah, can we get like this project with you? It's, oh, like a, yeah. it's, it's almost like something out of sci-fi, right? <laughs> it's something brand new. It's groundbreaking, right? Oh, I tell people that I feel like I'm in a sci-fi movie every time I go to the factory. I go to the factory. I look around. I'm like, okay, I know this is real. I see it. I see these big, giant green robots, 3D printing in open space. But come on, really? This is 10 years from now. This is future tech. This is We got invited to be at Con Expo in March just before COVID. And we were in the city of the future pavilion by invitation. And people are going through and they're looking at these large 3D printed wall panels. And they're asking us, oh, so how far are you guys along on this? And when will these be available? And those are available today. Wait, what? Yeah, I know we're in city of the future, but city, you can actually get this today. The concept, no is, still future, the concept, concept is still futuristic, right? <laughs> yeah, we just kind of jumped the shark a little bit and came out with something. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, you know, I know we were talking about market visibility and such, but a few years ago, I think 2017, you guys got into partnership with Foster and Partners and mm-hmm. um, with the NASA Centennial Challenge, right? Tell me yeah. about that and not just what you guys did, but what that competition was about. And obviously you can tell me and gloat how you guys did as well. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm going to try to keep this sure. as brief as possible because that could be a whole podcast. So we did get invited to be a part of a NASA Challenge for 3D printing. The concept was, what would it be like to 3D print on Mars? And now this is one of several opportunities we've had a chance to be involved in over the past several years because of this very unique thing that we can do. And so to just give you a couple bullet points, number one is one of the part of the challenges was, okay, you have to 3D print in space. Uh, You have to use 70% of the material has to be indigenous to Mars. And the other 30% of the material that you're gonna work with So let's talk about polymer creation. 30% of the material you're going to work with has to be from recycled items that would have come off from a spacecraft. So it's like dropping you off on Mars and say, figure it out. Talk about the constraints, right? (laughs) Yeah, no pressure. And then you had to be able to bring your printing equipment to a designated location at a moment in time and do everything right there, just like you're sending it out in space. We were involved in three different challenges. One, you had to create a beam, and I'm not going to go into the data on this. Look it up online for those people that are data geeks. We had to print a beam for strength and deflection. We had to print a tube. Basically, it was for piping just to take pressure. And then we had to print a dome, and then we ended up winning the whole competition with the dome. The dome was like three times stronger than what was needed to be, and we printed it, and it was it was a fun place to be because we were doing things that nobody was able to do. And NASA was like, wait, what? What did you do? How come this is so strong? And da, 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 da. And so it was a combination of having a bunch of really smart people on our team coming up with a polymer that did exactly what we needed for it to do at that time. And it was really honking strong. And then being able to come up with the printing capability, which we had already in-house, to be able to accomplish these tasks. So now you move that forward to today, we've got a 
a lot of people that are interested in what we could do with this and zero G and low G. Because if you think about it, if you're going to colonize Mars, and if you wanted to colonize Mars, you wouldn't want to ship everything there. You would want to make everything there. So to be able to make something there, you still need a very efficient way to produce it. So just like what we could do for an exterior building envelope panel here, we could do anywhere else. And that is to print minimal amounts of material, make it very, very strong. It's very efficient and be able to do something. Again, that's a whole separate conversation, but now that would be city of the future. <laughs> <laughs> or planet of the future in this. Uh, yeah, in, in well, this case, right? I didn't say what the city was. <laughs> <laughs> now, now tell me a little bit more about the process of, I guess, for lack of a better term, creating this design freedom, like in terms of what's the curing time like? Is there a curing time? Obviously, I'm going based off concrete, the old school city of the present, shall we say. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, in terms of like, what's the process like for you when you guys have a design that you have to do, like in terms of what you guys do and how long it takes? Well, I think there's two questions going on there. So I'm going to try to separate that from what happens in the factory, but then what happens on the front end with the client. Okay. So let me talk about client first and then the back end a little bit. So typically what happens right now is, let me talk a little bit about the three kind of product sectors that we're in. So it'll help identify this particular thing. Uh, if you were to say there's three general products that we do, one is called branch clad, which is an exterior building envelope panel system, whether it's a rain screen or part of a mega panel. There's also Stratiform. Stratiform is a product, if you think about large theme parks, natural rock work, freeform stone, something that you need to do a big giant area and make it look like it was just always there. And that could be it for a theme park or for maybe military reasons. And then the third area is what, what's referred to as C-form. That is just this open matrix, which you've seen in some of the projects that we've done, that we print very large product and ship it anywhere in the world to be a part of a major exhibit type of process. But so in all of those, tons of design freedom. So what we do with a client on the front end is we'll sit down with them and usually they don't even know where this could go. It's the beginning of time for this kind of design freedom, this kind of capability. This is a new technology that's just come to market. So we'll sit down with them and we've got a fantastic design team, folks from uh, Disney, Shop Architects, Gensler, these folks will sit down with a client and do some vision casting. What is it that you're trying to accomplish? Tell me your story. Where are you trying to go with this? And they're just listening at that time. And then what our team will do is they will come up with some design concepts of what could be done using our technology. We'll sit down. We'll show them some early concepts. And those are really fun meetings to sit in on for me. The creative, the creative well, ones, right? I got all these really cool geniuses that work for me. And I'm like, so smart and they're so gifted and that stuff is freaking awesome but to see a customer in the room for the very first time it's just like jaw on the floor because <laughs> what we've done is we've taken the project that they want to do and we right. branchized it yeah and it's just yeah, i so like cool. that i like what yeah. you did there. <laughs> I, mean, I, I joke around saying if, if my wife's mad at me i just sit in one of these meetings oh my god this is crazy <laughs> and then from that we'll take the one say that they like the most and we will carry that through to an approved project with a design and with a budget in place and then we'll move that into production now from a production standpoint there's some things that very specific things that we do because we can to say that we can make anything is we can't make anything but we can make a lot but what we're trying to do because we're a small company of under 100 employees and 40,000 square feet we're trying to really focus on things that are most close to the core of what we do really well, really efficiently today. So we'll try to make sure that people don't pull us too outside of our core right now. 
That's why we try to stick around those three product categories. But then we'll plan that project out in the most efficient way to produce it with the technology that we have, with the polymers that we have, with the build platforms that we have. Because, I mean, we can build really big pieces, but if you build something monstrous, say like a 50-foot-long piece, that's, you know, How's it going to get there? <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah, knock a wall out. And a lot of people ask me, how big can you, you make something? I said, I can print something bigger than I can ship. So it's kind of pointless. People say, oh, can you print the space shuttle? I'm like, well, you know, maybe. But I can't get the space shuttle out the door because I don't have a space shuttle door yet. Door. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I need a bigger roll up, right? Right, right. Anyway, so we'll work with the capabilities that we have in-house. We'll look at the logistics of shipping, receiving. Some job sites are very restrictive. So if you make something too big that can't get in, it's not going to work either. Right. Now, you mentioned this earlier in terms of efficiency and stuff, but how do you think your system affects sustainability and efficiency? We know the generic efficiency, it's made offsite, it's like prefab, right? You make it offsite, come, hoist it in, put it in. What else is there to it? Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, sustainability and efficiency are, are big terms right now in the industry. Again, well, there's another big word that's a buzz in the industry, but we won't talk about that <laughs> word. <laughs> Sticking to the task at hand, right. sustainability and efficiency. Well, one thing is that because we're, we're operating in the environment that we're in, we're using robots, these giant robots on these 33-foot rails, and they move along your six axis plus, plus the rails at seven. They're super low energy. A lot of people think, oh, industrial manufacturing, you're using a lot of energy, a lot of electricity. It's actually a low energy production process. The second thing is we're very low to no waste. We're only using the materials that are needed to actually make it. If you think about traditional construction, you start with a stock sheet of something and then you cut it. The waste goes and away. And you throw those yes. pieces away. Yeah, yeah. And people say, oh, well, we recycle that and things like that. So, well, you think about... Uh, I've got a long background in exterior building of a facade. If you think about aluminum extrusions for doing curtain wall and storefront and panel systems like that, you get a 26 foot bar length or whatever, a whole bunch of that shows up. You're trying to optimize and cutting all your pieces, but you still have some waste. So minimal waste. Another thing is that we actually can work in biopolymers, which is a big growth area of growth for us right now. The Museum of Natural History in Chicago we did a project called Nature Clouds to celebrate their 150th anniversary. Basically, there was just these big giant, actually, there's a there's a piece of it on my back wall right there. That is one of the prototype pieces from Nature Clouds. So that's their pieces were 38 feet across and they went up in the air, all biopolymers. And yeah, so that's biodegradable at end of life. And uh, anyway, there's a huge, uh, huge market for that. Sounds like it. Now, you mentioned it earlier, again, going back to the NASA challenge and stuff, you you mentioned the, the support of three times the next person kind of thing. But are there any current challenges that you have? And by that, I mean, is can it be used in current building applications as a structural support? Because, you know, municipalities, they all have their codes yeah. and, and it takes yeah. a while to change those codes, right? So are there any challenges in using this kind of application in those kind of circumstances or is it purely well, aesthetic? There are some challenges now. This is really, really strong. But because, again, we're a small company, we have started out in market with products that I will say, I will say technically that they're non-load-bearing. Now, we've done load-bearing projects, okay? We're not marketing this as a load-bearing product right now. Very first thing that we're focused on in the market is design freedom. Because when you look at the design freedom, have you seen some of our projects already? You look at the design freedoms like, oh my gosh, that's on another planet, maybe. 
Eventually. primary focus is design freedom. Right. The next places where we'll be able to provide value to the marketplace is going to be insulating value because we know that infilled with foam, this has a very high R value. We did one project that had a, it's not project for you to buy, but we did a project that had an 80 R value, I believe, if I believe correctly. You're going to quote me on that anyway, yeah. so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> we can check uh, it out. So very high R value. And another thing is structurally, we've done some structural work, but again, we're, we're not marketing that today. Now think about where this can go. We're at the Edison moment, the very, very early kind of dawn of time, the beginning of time on where this is at right now. As our polymer strengths increases and as our software and our hardware continues to evolve and iterate and get better, this is only going to improve over time. So there are people that are very interested in us doing all kinds of structural stuff like right now. And what I tell them is said, yeah, you know, that is probably possible, but let's focus on where we're at right now. And we'll- it's like baby steps, right? For new stuff, it's like baby steps. Oh Even gosh. though the capabilities might be there, just you got to get the buy-in. And the market, you gotta, you market gotta awareness, but yeah. You got to yeah. start some more. So from where this is at today to where it'll be going, I can definitely see high R value, lots of insulating capabilities, lots of structural capabilities. But again, we're not trying to market those today, today. Oh, that's awesome. So it- it sounds like the original vision has pretty much come about and like any good company, always looking to the future, right? Seeing to how it can evolve, but be kind of careful and guarded as to you know how you, you can progress, right? You could let your customer opportunities take you to places where right. you don't need to be right now. And I've seen it, I've done it. I mean, I've been in business, you know, over 30 years. You can let somebody talk you into something that is not where you need to be right now. So we always ask ourselves, we get lots of opportunities that come in the door. It is bizarre being in, you know, COVID world and where we're at right now and saying we're getting so much inbound traffic of, hey, I've got a project that I really want to talk to you about. And looking at is that project in our core focus competency and where we want to be right now? And if it's not, how far out there is it? Because if somebody comes to me, hey, I want to 3D print a submarine, just making this up, in the next six months. That's a great idea. That's it. (laughs) Don't include, just don't include us. Yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was just curious, now that you guys were at Con Expo and all of these other things, like, you know, what sort of traction have you been seeing? Obviously, number one is you probably attract the people that are interested, but I'm just talking about like legit interest, you know, and, and also what areas, is it mainly in like larger buildings or commercial spaces or museums kind of thing, or like what traction are you seeing right now in terms of now that the market visibility is, is coming there and the technology is caught up as well? Yeah. So I would break traction into three categories and I'll talk right down the middle. We're getting plenty of opportunities right now. People are saying, Hey, I've got a project that I want to use you on. Either it's branch clad, stratiform, or C form. And then the branch clad, which is going to go on the outside of the building, as we know right now, there's less construction going on. But because we're a small company, we couldn't have done it all anyway. So if somebody comes to me and say, Hey, I've got these two buildings I really want to use you on. I had 30 last week, but I'm only doing two today. Who cares? Again, for us right now, that's fine. So right down the middle with branch clad, things going on the exterior building envelope. There's also a lot of momentum today for differentiating a parks using C-form, interior lobbies. You think about a think about a building in New York City right now. Let's just say you, you're in Toronto. So in Toronto, let's just say you're a building owner and you've got 22 buildings downtown Toronto. And you're thinking, how do I get people back into my building? The building's built already. 
how do I do something? There's companies right now, investors that are saying, okay, I need you to help me do something really cool 3D form, free form so on the stands, interior lobby. It stands out. It stands out. It's one of those. I've got to differentiate today and I'm going to give you a fixed budget and a fixed timeline. I need you to come up with something amazing right now. So you put something like us in the inside of a, a lobby, 30 foot high piece of 3D printed artwork, you're one of one right now. And you're one of one right now, not one of one later on. You're able to do that immediately right now. So that's down the middle. On the two sides on uh, partnerships, we've got some fantastic enterprise level partnerships that are in development right now that have lots of pipeline and need for exactly what we do. And they've come to us. You can solve a problem for us right now that we've been looking for for a long, long, long time. And you, you're able to do that right now. And then on the other side, which I think you and I had chatted a little bit about offline, is we're getting a lot of opportunity in the military, Department of Defense, dot, we just call it .gov or .stars and stripes. There's an AFWorks. AFWorks is the Air Force basically incubator program that's going on right now. There's a three-day conference called AFWorks Fusion. It's happening right now. We're actually in that twice. We're doing a robotically autonomous distributed manufacturing and also high-performance polymers. So we're in that in two different ways this week. So lots of interest for us in this whole .gov space right now. Nice. You, you mentioned in Toronto, if I was a building owner, but are you guys available internationally? I mean, obviously cross-border might be pretty simple. Uh, what about cross-ocean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've got a lot of interest in uh, Europe and in APAC right now because of what we do. On um, the international work, we do it on an enterprise basis only. If somebody calls me up and say, hey, I'm in, I just make this up. I'm in Switzerland. And I've got this project that I'm thinking about doing an interior for a building, you know, and I've got whatever X amount of dollars to spend. We don't look at individual projects like that on an international basis because there's just a lot of time and logic attached to it. But if somebody comes to us and say, hey, I'm in Switzerland and I've got 40 buildings that I'm starting or 40 buildings that I need to renovate and do something very unique to make my whole development look iconic. I saw you guys at a certain event and I absolutely want to use you. We're happy to look at that. Like a one-off in Indonesia or a one-off in Switzerland is a single element at this point in time. We wouldn't take it on just because the time and energy to focus on that for us as a small company would be fairly high. So if one of our listeners was interested in your bench that you guys created for MIT, are they kind of out of luck on a one-off? <laughs> kind of out of luck on a one-off. Man, it is such a delicate balance. You want to treat everybody well, but... One of our core values, which I think you and I may have talked about before, one of our core values as a company is why stewardship. And so we need to make sure that at all times we are stewarding our internal resources in the best possible way. And that could be how do we steward our money? How do we steward our people? How do we steward the, the business that our investors have entrusted us to grow? How do we steward the relationships of our other customers? And so when we look at an opportunity, so is that in the best interest of all the stakeholders here? I know that one person may be such a fanboy or fangirl of what we're doing, but it may not be the best thing for us with all of our stakeholders. Speaking of uh, core values, I would like to give you our six core values. Yeah. I think it'll be good for you and for your yeah. listeners. So our six core values and everything plays into this. Number one is relentless execution. And this has really been a key part of how we've overcome a lot of difficult challenges. Relentless execution. And then secondly is intense collaboration. We work very strongly together. We have healthy ideological debate and discussions and disagreements and come back together to accomplish something. 
Another one of our core values is being a humble genius. When we say humble genius, I mean, we've got a lot of really smart people that are the smartest folks in the room, and you would never know it. And our fourth core value is design beauty. When we're putting something together, we want to make sure it's something that absolutely stands out. So square boxes, even though we could 3D print them, we're really not interested in that. Our fifth core value, and this, again, speaks to the core of what's when our CEO and founder, Platt Boyd, started the company, is other-centered. So when we hire somebody, actually, um, <laughs> humble genius, which is our first core value, and other-centered, when we're actually in the hiring process, these are two of the big things that we look at when we're considering bringing someone on board. We actually have a policy in hiring. It's called the no jackass policy. <laughs> nice. It works out really well. It so does. we're looking at somebody and they're all about themselves and they're bragging it up, how great I am, how great I am. They're not going to be a very good fit here. So other center. And then the lastly is, which we talked about, why stewardship? How do we manage the resources that we have, the people? How do we manage this business for our stakeholders? And how do we manage it for our other clients that we're working with? That's awesome. Now, how do you see with your core values and what you guys are doing, what do you think is going to be, I guess not needed, or what do you think is going to happen over the next three, five, 10 years to, for this to get more mainstream, shall we say? Is it just visibility that it is actually possible or is there something more? Well, I'd say as we move forward in time, a couple of things are going to take place. One is our technology is going to develop. Our printing speed is going to get faster. Our polymers will be stronger. Our robots will be able to do things tomorrow that they weren't able to do, aren't able to do today. And I even look back like two years ago, where we were at in capabilities and like we're light years ahead of where that was. And so there's been this exponential growth internally on our capabilities and abilities. On the second side is just from a product, more products become available. It's going to give us a wider capabilities in the marketplace. And then there's the market driving demands as people are coming to us and our core is here and they're taking more of that core, it's gonna grow us as a company, which then we can do some things outside the core. So there's some things that people ask us for today. Hey, can you do this right now? We're like, that is really, really cool. But cool is not a business strategy, as a client once told me. And we're not ready to do that today, but let's stay in touch. As our core expands and we get more capabilities, we're going to be able to take on some of those other projects in the near future that we would say no to today. Yeah, and you know, I think also with the way the market is going, we all see the push towards modular construction and prefab construction, because as you mentioned earlier, it's all about efficiency, right? Because land values are increasing because it, I mean, the world is kind of shrinking in a sense, right? And, <laughs> and people are- just my, I thought it was just my pants were shrinking. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean, right? Like, so yeah. I, I do think in terms of efficiency, schedule, planning, and now with what you guys are doing, that design freedom to create yeah. unique visuals and such, and who knows the structural and so on and so forth uh, down the line as well. I think it's only going to gain more traction, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. One of the interesting things is we talk about 3D printing just in general. Anybody and everybody in and around an architectural firm, a construction company, or developer right now, 3D printing is on their mind. It's like a buzzword. It's like that 20 plus years ago when people says, oh, you need to have a website. Yeah, you need to have a website. Well, why do you need to have a website? Well, we need to have a website, don't we? Yeah, we need a website. And then people get a website. They're like, I don't know what to do with it yet. Well, 3D printing is kind of at that beginning of time in construction where people are just figuring out how to commercialize and productize it for efficient application for the built environment. 
So you're going to see that just go way up. I mean, you probably heard about in what is it, Abu Dhabi? They have a by 2030, 30% of all of construction needs yeah. to be 3D printed. No pressure. That. But, you yeah. know, there's a big move in that particular area to do, like, lots of the building has to be 3D printed. So yeah. you have a mandate. It's kind of like when we say in North America, oh, you have certain pollution standards that you have to meet on your automobiles. Well, you have to design the automobile to be more efficient from the exhaust pipe of what's coming out of the exhaust pipe because you put a rule in place. So you've got law-driven requirements and demand, and then you've just got market demand where people are saying, I really want to use this. Let's find a way to make it happen. That's awesome. I know we talked about what you guys did at the museum. I brought up the MIT bench, but can you share with me some of the some of your clients' concepts that they've now realized? Obviously, they can go on your website and check it out, but why don't you yeah. just give us a little summary of a, a few of the hitters, big hitters, shall we say? Oh, yeah. Throwing out just a couple quick ones. That's yeah. a big question. So yeah. I'm going to touch just a couple product yeah. wise. So in C form, a really cool project that we did. It's called One City. It's downtown Nashville. It's easy to look up. Tons of social media on that one. It is the largest freeform 3D printed structure in the world. It's an outdoor band pavilion. It's 42 feet across and 21 feet high and is only 3D printed pretty much out of this material right here. And it is honking amazing. I joke with people that the developer made their money on us because they actually sold the whole development at 25% above market rate, including the, the band shell. So I tell them it was all us. I don't think that's true at all, by the way. But uh, that's in C form. We go into Stratiform, which is Rockwork. We've got a project that we're involved in right now that needed at over 200,000 square feet of Rockwork. And we had a very unique situation in that particular project where we were able to 3D print this material and a seven by seven sample of it, which is 49 square feet, only weighed 37 pounds. Wow. So yeah, that's pretty cool. And we were able to take the 3D surface topography of that and just drop it into our software and basically spit out on the backside that particular product. That's in Stratiform. In BranchClad, we've got multiple projects going on right now. One of them, we're in contract in for the city of Huntsville, Alabama. There's a lot of redevelopment in downtown city of Huntsville, Alabama. So this is for the city. There's, again, a lot of press out on this right now. It's with Turner Construction, so I can freely talk about that. It's about 10,000 square foot branch panels that are being 3D printed and put on the outside of the new parking garage downtown the city of Huntsville. It's called Monroe Street Parking Deck or something like that. Again, lots of press out there on that right now. But that's one where I mean, think about parking garages. Come on. I know. Boring. Oh, but actually, you, 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 you brought up Abu Dhabi and Dubai. You should see some of their parking garages there. Woo. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to have a Dubai-approved parking garage in Huntsville, Alabama. So you, again, your listeners are able to look that up. Your listeners, viewers are able to look that up online mm -hmm. and check that out because there's some good press on that. Awesome. But anyway, that just touches one little yeah. bullet oh, point yeah, that, on all three of those product areas. Fantastic. Now, aside from obviously checking out your website, I've looked at it a lot and I've been stuck on it for a little bit with all the projects, the videos. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's pretty phenomenal. My jaw has been dropped as well a fair bit. So I'm grateful that you've been here. But where can our listeners find out more about, you know, the company aside from the website? How can they reach out to you if they're interested? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 411. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So a couple of easy ways. One is ranchtechnology.com. That's our mm -hmm. website. So that's pretty easy. Another place to look us up is on LinkedIn. We're very active on LinkedIn. So if you look up branch technology, I'm big on LinkedIn. I've got 
uh, over 10,000 people on LinkedIn. So I'm very involved in that. So I'm always putting out content. So if you look up Mitch Lewandowski phonetically, mm -hmm. if you look that up, I'm the chief commercial officer at Branch and uh, you can you can follow my content on there. Our marketing department's always putting out tons of content. So those are the easiest, super easiest ways to see us and reach out to us. There's also a uh, request information from the website. So if you've got a project or something going on, click on there and then it'll get through marketing and they'll show up to me if it's, if it's relevant. But uh, those are some great ways to be in touch with us. I'm happy to connect with you on LinkedIn and answer any questions. And if you, as a listener, have a project that you'd like to see if you can move it forward with us, I'm happy to chat with you about that. Fantastic. Also, when the episode goes up, the links to you, your company will all be on our website, the podcast website on LinkedIn, all over the place as well. So pretty hard to miss. But thank you so much, Mitch, for taking the time from the conference that you were just at and sharing this amazing concept to just talking about it, not even fully seeing it has been fascinating for me. Thank you so much. No, my pleasure. Good to be with you today and uh, good to be here with you. Well, you heard Mitch talk about his clients jaw dropping whenever he presented or their team presented this concept and I can tell you when the first time I started talking to Mitch and started learning more about branch technologies my reaction was fairly similar as well so it was a fascinating conversation you know if you know somebody that is interested in really where we can go with this 3d printing idea in terms of large scale and the future of where we're going because it's just really an emerging market you know really share this episode it's a fun conversation i'm sure you guys had a great time listening to it as well and it has been so awesome to be talking to all of these people who are really building our future and changing the way we view things and do things up next we've got a brand new startup that just recently launched a few weeks ago John Christensen joins me from Bidme talking about what they're doing in trying to improve the process, the transparency, and tackle some of the issues in the home improvement process. 